Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. Before we get into our scriptural lessons this morning, I wanted to give a quick liturgical note about the season we're in, in case you are unfamiliar. This is the season of pre-Lent, known as uh, Jessamatide or Septuagesimatide. Sometimes we call it Shrovetide because it ends, it takes us up to Shrove Tuesday. To be shriven is to be cleansed of one's sins, and we are shriven uh, in preparation for Holy Lent and, and Pascha. So this is this pre-Lenten season of Jessamatide. In Lent, uh, Lent officially begins for us in the Western Rite on Ash Wednesday. And Jessamatide uh, consists of the three Sundays uh, before Ash Wednesday. The last Sunday before Ash Wednesday, which is this coming Sunday, is Quinquagesima. So Quinquagesima means 50th. Uh, there are 50 days between next Sunday and Easter when you count both the Sundays, and that's how they counted in, in ancient times. So when we refer to next Sunday as Quinquagesima Sunday, and we're using the inclusive counting, it is actually mathematically correct. There are 50 days from next Sunday until Easter Sunday. Today, two Sundays before Ash Wednesday, is called Sexagesima. So we pray sext at noon, which is the sixth Hour. So sexagesima is 60th, um, which is obviously not mathematically correct. There are actually 57 days from today till Easter. And then the uh, last Sunday uh, that we just came from is septuagesima, meaning 70th, which is also an approximation as there are 64 days, not 70, from last Sunday till Easter. So septuagesima and sexagesima, these names are... Uh, poetic counting, okay? They're uh, an approximation. Um, and there's a longer explanation uh, for that. I mean, it's not like the ancients didn't have their, uh, didn't know how to count. They knew full well how many days there were. Uh, at any rate, one last little note. Uh, next Sunday, which is the first Sunday uh, of, or the Sunday following, the first Sunday of Lent, is quadragesima. So a quatrefoil has four rings in it, quadra four, 40th day, and there are 40 days in Lent, and the season of Lent is often referred to in Latin as quadragesima. Okay, that's your liturgical uh, geek note for the morning. Um, our gospel this morning, the parable of the sower, some, a parable that most of us are probably very familiar with. Um, also a parable that we have the luxury of having Jesus interpret for us which is great. Um, and he teaches us that the seed uh, is the word, and the word there that he uses for word is logos. The seed is the logos of God. And we know from St. John, of course, that the logos is ultimately Jesus Christ himself. 
Then he gives us four types of people who receive this word, this seed, the logos. And the first person, the first type to receive the word, he says that the word is uh, stolen from them by the demons. And that their faith fails and that they are not saved in the end. That's the first type, sadly. The second type receives the word with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while, he says. But then when the tough times come, when they're suffering and trials and, you know, tough times, they fall away. The third type to receive the word, he says, the word in them is choked out by worries, riches, and pleasures. In other words, by worldliness. It's really interesting to uh, think, to see how Christ uh, groups riches and pleasures with worry. They're all in the same category. Riches and pleasures and anxiety and worry are all put together for us. Something worthy to contemplate. The final type, the fourth type of person is, of course, the one who receives uh, the word and clings to it. And Jesus describes them as having a true or honest or worthy and good heart. He then says, as he closes it out, that they bear fruit with steadfast endurance. So the word here for honest or worthy is kalos, and it means actually beautiful in some instances. Beautiful, noble, honorable, and good. Something is good and beautiful when it is in something meaning something in the created order. Whether it's a, you know, your, your cat or your, you know, your tomato plants or your kids or anything in between. Something is good and beautiful when it is functioning the way God meant it to function. That is according to nature. And that's what we mean by according to nature. When something is existing and functioning and behaving according to nature, it is being the way it's meant to be. And it is beautiful. That's what makes a thing beautiful. The second descriptive word uh, of this person's heart is um, agathros, which also means good. Both words actually mean good. They're two different words. It means good, and it also refers to the nature of a thing, that the thing is existing and functioning in the way that God intended it to be, and that's why it is good. And that's how he describes the heart of the person who receives the word and clings to it and bears fruit with steadfast endurance. Now, the takeaway from this parable, I think, is very simple. There is one good heart among the four and three defective hearts. And when you look at it carefully, what makes the three defective hearts defective is not three complex problems, but in the final analysis, looking at it very simply, there is essentially, among all three, just one problem. One problem. And the good heart, as Christ describes the good heart, possesses the one thing that the defective hearts lack. So as I say, there's a lot to the parable, but it is also very simple. Very simple when you boil it all down. 
There's one thing we must avoid. And if we are to be good, there's one thing we must attain. Now, this is a very practical sermon. Everybody, you know, actually you don't. Some people complain, you know, that sermons aren't practical. Well, this is practical. All you have to do is walk out of here today and remember there's one thing not to do and there's one thing to do, and I'll be okay. The defection in each of these hearts is a lack of perseverance and faithfulness, essentially. A lack of perseverance and faithfulness. And the essence of the good heart, in Jesus' own words, is to cling to the word with steadfast endurance. Now that word cling, katecho, it means to hold fast with tenacity. There's some force to it. It means to bind. You can imagine binding yourself. I can't remember in what piece of literature somebody bound them. Was it Moby Dick? Did he bind himself to the mast? Something in a great storm. To bind oneself to that word and to possess it with great tenacity. So when we hear Christ saying this, describing the good heart as essentially clinging to the word with steadfast endurance, we should immediately think of what does that look like in our life. We should think of discipline. We should think of faithfulness. We should think of perseverance. You know, one of the primary messages we get about God in the Scripture, if you took the entire, you know, Scripture, and you just wanted to tease out of it some primary messages, I don't mean like a Chinese menu, not 752, but like three <laughs> primary messages about God that would be most important. One of the most important primal message we got out of the scripture is that God who is good is faithful. That God who is good is faithful and steadfast. And, if that, and that if we are going to be good like God, we must also be faithful and unwavering. That is the primal root of goodness, is to be faithful. And it is manifest in our daily lives in very concrete ways. Keep your vow. I can't remember which psalm it is, but there's a psalm in Lauds we say uh, every week that says, keep, I will keep my vows. Keep your vow. Keep your vow. Be steadfast in your rule of life. Be steadfast and faithful in your prayer, in your giving, in your word in your holy assembly at Mass in the Divine Office. Do not give up. Be stable. Be loyal. Concentrate on this. And everything else that's good will follow behind. That is the bedrock of goodness. Without it, there is no goodness. That is the goodness which retains the living word in the heart and bears much fruit. Without commenting on it further, I just want to point out that this is also, I think, an essential part of the message of St. Paul that he's emphasizing in our epistle reading this morning as well. The long epistle reading, which is indicative that we're entering into Lent, by the way. The readings get longer. The services get longer. 
we're on our feet longer. Paul goes on and on and on and on and on. In almost a clownish way, he said, I am a fool to have to do this. But he had to do it. Because, you know, the people he was talking to needed to hear it, apparently. But he goes on and on talking and detailing all the trials that he suffered. And he ends with the one that God sent himself. I mean, I even got this one, the thorn one from God, as if I didn't have enough already. But the message is that he remained steadfast. He remained faithful through it all. There's one reason that we are faithful, and that is love. When we are faithful, it is because we are loving God. There are many causes of our unfaithfulness. Christ elucidates a few in the parable. But there's really only one reason, and it's helpful for us to remember this. There's only one reason when we are unfaithful, and it's because of a failure to love God. When you come to confession, you know, and you've been faithless, like me and all the rest of us, your confession is not, well, you know, your confession is, I have failed to love God. And I have failed to love my brethren. Lord, help me. And my failure to love quite often is the cause for their sin, which is a heavy weight for all of us to bear. God is love. And what makes one good like God is love. And our love for God and for one another is manifest in faithfulness, even in the face of trials. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.